are tuned in to the Way of Healing podcast, where we inspire humans to connect more deeply to their experience of life. My name is OJ. My name is Casey. We are connecting with practitioners to talk about the potential of the innate healing powers within. Welcome back to the Way of Healing. Welcome back. I'm Casey. I'm OJ. Today we have a very special guest very, very special guest, a teacher of mine near and dear to my heart, Elizabeth Jacobowitz. She came up from San Diego. I have goosebumps. Her practice is called Embodiment Arts, and she is a body worker. She also works with um, art therapy. Do you call it art therapy? Expressive arts Expressive therapy. Expressive arts therapy. So we're going to jump right in and let her tell you more about what she's up to. She's up to really great things. Um, I've taken class with her, and I have also assisted her with some classes, and I really, her work has moved me deeply, and I use it in my bodywork practice, so we're very honored to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I haven't taken your class yet, but everyone speaks very highly of you. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's, it's been work that has impacted my life tremendously, and when you say that you've been moved by it... Uh, uh, it's it's literally using movement. Mm-hmm. So this is a form of body work that the client gets to relax through the whole process, but they're being rocked and cradled and moved through space. And it's a wonderful way to remind our bodies of the full potential for movement. We get kind of stuck in a lot of patterns and um, how we typically spend the day. So if we're an office worker, computer, da, 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 da. The, the typical patterns that we do over and over. And we forget that we can move our arm and have this huge possibility of range. And because body and mind are really united, they're not separate, it can also then restrict our thinking patterns, mm-hmm. the way that we approach different things. And so this work, Sensory Repatterning, is about reminding us of the possibility in movement. Mm-hmm. And then that ripples out into so many different other areas of life. Nice. Yeah. Is it usually incorporated into like a massage session? Is it, is it an, its own thing? Uh, it can be done either way. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really extremely powerful by itself, but oftentimes I'll use it with other modalities, uh, either to introduce it to someone or just as a way of, I get a sense of what's going on with a client's body by introducing movement, seeing where the movement flows, where it gets stuck, and then maybe I'll choose to do deep tissue sculpting or some other type of bodywork method to address a specific situation. Mm. But sensory repatterning on its own is really not about fixing a problem. It's very expansive and more of I, I call it solution focused. In psychotherapy, we talk about solution focused approaches where We're not looking to have the person feel, oh, this is where I'm holding. This is where I can't move. We're instead helping them to feel what it feels like to have ease and grace and freedom in their movement. Mm. So to answer your question, it can be done either on its own or mixed in. Very cool. It's so groovy. And it is very healing, whether or not that's the intention, right? Mm -hmm. Or the fixing, Mm -hmm. it fixes because it's not trying to. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's again coming back to this idea of holding space. Yes. Holding space for the recipient's body to feel 
its own potential, like mm-hmm. you're talking about. And just to clarify for audience, it's done on a massage table mm-hmm. and it can be clothed or unclothed. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's great in terms of it can accommodate many levels of comfort mm-hmm. for people. And many different situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there was a time when there were some fires down near San Diego and I went out to work with the firefighters and they were coming in after 72 hours of being out and, you know, they're fully clothed Mm. and yeah, they take off their jacket, but they're still on the table with their boots. Mm. And okay, how do I work with this? Certainly not circulatory massage. So yeah, being able to help them let go just as they are Mm -hmm. um, is a really fabulous aspect of this work. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, what if someone has like a really big restriction, like frozen shoulder. I've worked on a lot of people with frozen shoulder where it just is stuck. Mm-hmm. Good question. Yeah. 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 So sensory repatterning, it's, it's not about, again, it's not about fixing mm. or changing, but reminding the body of the possibility. So we want to work with the range of motion that the client has. Mm-hmm. We can go to the edges And a lot of times at those edges of the range of motion, that's when there's kind of that delicious discomfort that happens. That's a (laughs) phrase. To where does that come from? Uh, So one of my teachers, James Stewart, who developed this modality, he would talk about delicious discomfort Mm, um, with this modality, with other modalities. But it is, it's like that hurts good. Um, So we can find that edge um, and that's where our proprioceptors, the things that tell us where we are in space, Mm. when we're at the edge of that range is often when we get the most information. Mm -hmm. So if we're doing a smaller range of motion, eh, there might be a little information, but not a ton. But when we go to the edges, that's when our body's like, oh, I feel that. Yeah. (laughs) Want it. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Yeah. It can work out. I just will speak from my own experience of it, having received it and given it. I, on my healing path, I tend to get flare-ups dermatologically, like sensitive skin. I have sensitive skin. So on my hands, almost two years ago, I was getting like this eczema showed up. And, you know, I was clearly stressed in many areas of my life, but it showed up on my hands. And Elizabeth was in town and I had I had been signed up to take her class, but then I realized I couldn't take my class. And so I had her work on me at the end of it. And because the work was calming to my nervous system, the inflammation in my hands diminished. Mm. I mean, it wasn't like a overnight sensation, but there was that calming effect that we need because we're so often activated in our sympathetic nervous system. So this work, much like you were talking about, is cradling or rocking. It has this very nurturing quality. It's a very safe nurturing quality in my experience. And so it can help with things like that. And I know that you could speak to maybe if you wanted any any experiences that you've seen with clients or in your own, Mm -hmm. maybe your own journey with it, whatever, yeah, whichever you want to touch on first. Yeah. And I'm thinking actually one thing before I jump to that. Yeah. When we think of calming someone down, if you think the way, way back when we're first born, how is a baby calmed? You hold and rock. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he was exactly. just doing it. 
you were just sensory repatterning. Yeah. And I remember um, when my niece was born and I went back to Michigan to visit my family, I was holding my niece and rocking her. And I don't do a lot with kids, but I was just doing kind of what I do for work. And my mom and my sister were so surprised because my niece used to be a little more fussy. So then I'm holding her and she was quiet for a really long time. Yeah, so it is, it's that idea that innately, that idea of being held, of being rocked, of being just tended to and nurtured, like you said, it's something that innately in us, it calms us down. It brings us into a parasympathetic state where natural healing happens. So like, I don't think of myself as a healer per se, but that I help create a situation so that the person's own body can do whatever healing they need. Yeah. Yeah. She's just very modest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, again. I honor I, you. I, yeah. I'm, I don't think of that myself that way. Um, as far as my own experiences, I've had lots of different experiences with sensory repatterning. And one of the most profound was when I was initially, I had a, had a little bit of training in it. And I was preparing for a marathon. I had I, really bad IT band syndrome, and that's iliotibial band syndrome, also known as runner's knee. So I was out training, and then I would get the stabbing pain in my knee that felt like a knife was being pushed in and turned. Hmm. Um, so wow, in one knee. It, it was in my yeah, in my uh -huh. left knee, and the you know oh. horrible. Like what can I do? At that time, I was working in physical therapy as an aide. And so I did my physical therapy. I was getting my sports massage, but it wasn't getting better. It would be fine when I wasn't running, but every time I'd start running again, it would come back. And at that time, my physical therapist was analyzing my gait. So one foot was going straight forward. The other foot was out to about 45. You know, that's not the optimal gait for running. Mm -hmm. So did all the exercises that were supposed to help fix that wasn't happening for me. And so I started to get some sensory repatterning. After the first session, my feet became parallel. Wow. Oh. And it was one of those that it's like, whoa, okay, that was surprising. Wow. Um, and had your foot always been turned out? I don't know. Hmm. I, I believe that it had been. Most of um, us have our them. right foot because we're right driving. Mm. Ah, I've made this association yeah. and helped some clients too who've had knee pain with it because when we turn and drive, this is a quick aside, yeah. we're turning from the ankle, we're not turning from the, the hip. hip, so we're mm. jacking up our knee. So I've okay. said, pigeon toe your right foot when you're driving and see uh -huh. if that helps. Mm. So yeah, I, I do it. Same thing with me. When I stand up straight, I'm like 15, 20 degrees out to the right. Uh -huh. Yeah. In my work, I do a lot of gait assessment and yeah. Don't you see that so too? So many people, their right leg is turned out. Yeah. Totally. I didn't know that the right foot was a consistent thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my gait went, so my feet were more parallel, which straight parallel is also not exactly what's wanted for running. But slowly over two weeks between sessions, my foot went back out. Hmm. And then after the next session, the pain in my knee came back right back. Mm. And someone asked me then, what aren't you moving forward with in your life? Mm -hmm. Because literally the knee is the first thing that moves forward. And so then metaphorically taking that into how does this embodiment, how is my body trying to talk to me? 
and pay attention, have, help me pay attention to what's going on. Of course, as soon as I was asked that, I immediately started bawling <laughs> and I wasn't happy with my uh, living situation or with my job. So I knew I was going to find a new living situation. I did that within a week. And I knew once I did that, I would quit my job. Didn't want to do that before I found the apartment. And the pain basically went away. It did come back here and there in small bits, but it was taken care of. And that question was key for me, but so was the sensory repatterning because I feel like what it does, it shakes things up, it moves things, and it helps me to come in more in alignment. So if I think of my physical self, my emotional self, my mental self, my spiritual self, if they're all going different directions, I'm not getting anywhere, but it helps bring everything back in alignment. So for me, I felt like what that work really did was it brought to the forefront, these are not aligned. How do we align? Yeah. And um, yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So a lot of our listeners aren't familiar. We want to reach a lot of people that aren't familiar with this kind of work, with the spirituality work, with the energetic work, to help open up, you know, broaden their horizons, yeah. uh, collective consciousness we talked about in the previous episode. And a lot of times, emotions hold on to the body. And we've talked about this previously, but it's nice to touch on it all the time. But things that are going on in our life, our body holds on to these feelings and it tries to guide us in certain ways. And I'm a very firm believer that if you're feeling an ache, a pain, if you're sick, if you have a disease, anything going on, it's your body trying to tell you to shift something in your life. And so what Elizabeth was saying is, you know, her knee was acting up and it was her body trying to tell her to change something so she can move forward. And that happens anywhere in the body. So anyone that's listening, if you have an ache or pain or something going on, mm -hmm. what this type of work does, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be sensory patterning, but you know, there's something out there that's going to resonate. Mm -hmm. And that's what this podcast tries to bring people is to look for something that does resonate, something that can help bring your body, mind, spirit into alignment. So then we can start paying attention to these things. And with that, too, I mean, yes, it, it sensory helped me. I, I think it helps a lot of people, but I'll, there are so many different ways of approaching things. Mm -hmm. And even taking the time to do some journaling and do a written dialogue with that part of your body. What does mm -hmm. that part of, the, of your body have to say to you? Right. And just speak from the voice. Ask it questions. And writing that out can be super helpful. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Is that maybe a little piece of what some of your healing arts therapy looks like? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So expressive um, arts therapy. Uh -huh. Excuse That's, me. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. So expressive arts therapy uses a lot of different art forms. So it can be visual art. So we might paint, we might sculpt something, we might use masking tape to make some sort of sculpture. We might dance, we might play music, make music, listen to music. We could, let's see, we did visual art, music, drama, dance, and writing. Mm -hmm. So all of those art forms are ways that we can connect to ourself. And I think I like to use the phrase like soul work, mm -hmm. that it's, it really connects to the essence of who we are in a way that we don't in everyday life. Because oftentimes we do spend so much time in the 
mental space. Mm-hmm. Not creating. Not creating. Right? Yeah. yeah. The creation, we don't know what it is until mm-hmm. it comes. Yes. It's, yeah. And going into the unknown can be both scary, but also extremely eye-opening, helping with perspective and supportive, mm-hmm. helping us to really understand where we are and where we want to go. Yeah. It's cool. It's like, it's like giving a voice to the unvoiced. Yeah. Or a, yep. an image or a sound or a, yeah. Mm-hmm. And because the way that we approach anything is really through the imagination. Mm-hmm. We're always imagining and we imagine in different ways with the different senses. And so the arts are ways to access the imagination through different senses. And with expressive arts, it also can be something where we dance the painting or we write the story of the painting. So we move from one modality to the next. And it's interesting, I was first introduced to expressive arts without even knowing what it was called by my teacher, James, who developed Uh sensory repatterning. So he would do a lot of dream work, a lot of collage work, sand tray, sand play work, and have us create like a 3D collage with sand tray, um, little objects that you'd put in a tray of sand, Mm -hmm. and then write a story about it. And that was when I was first like, whoa, what is this? This is like my life in front of me. Um, And that was also really, really transformational for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating because I have kids, two kids, Uh and they just, hours on end, they just play and they make stuff up and there's no time restriction to it because a lot of times as adults it's like we have a schedule we have something to do so it's like I'm going to do this for this amount of time and then I got to move on to the next thing and the next thing and it sounds like the cool thing about that is there's it's a, there's no time restriction and you're just kind of going with the flow and seeing where these uh, creative things take you mm-hmm. and yet sometimes a time restriction can be helpful mm-hmm. because it can pare things down but I think for the person doing the art or receiving the body work, they're not the person in charge of time. Mm. So that (laughs) it means that they finally have a chance to have time away from time and really just be present in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That, that piece alone is so profoundly beneficial for our mental health. Mm-hmm. Like just taking a break from being your own alarm clock. This is something that often comes up that I talk about in the episodes mm-hmm. that as body workers, it's not so much that we're healers. It's that we are taking on some of the roles of the sympathetic nervous system of the client mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm the security guard. I'm the timer. Right. Yeah. And I'm the babysitter. I'm the whatever you just don't worry about a thing. You just mm-hmm. receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that, that piece of timelessness allows us to go into this spaciousness because like you're saying with your daughters, conceptually, it's not a thing for them. They're not mm-hmm. always thinking about, oh, at two o'clock, well, I have to do this. And so then it's, that time is abstract. So mm-hmm. it allows us to be much more present in mm-hmm. the moment mm-hmm. without having that to be that timekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Eckhart Tolle talks about time and and how it's relative, right? How if you're doing something and you're enjoying it, then it almost seems like there is no time. It's like time almost slows down because Mm -hmm. you're present with the experience. And there's times when you're doing things that you don't like, where it's just like, oh, that's done. Like you're at work and, you know, you're going through it. And if you don't like your job, you are waiting for the job to end. But when it's done, you're like, oh, where'd the, where'd the time go? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting yeah. how time is, it can fluctuate. An mm-hmm. hour doesn't always feel the same. 60 minutes right. doesn't always feel like 60 minutes. Right. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say? Uh, well, a minute can feel yeah. like forever or can just be gone. You talked about that in one of our classes. You were talking about how in movies they stretch out the time yeah. when they're emphasizing emotion. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you yeah. want to say anything about that? Or? So in with sensory repatterning, we have two types of movement that we focus on the undulations, the rocking, the cradling, and then we have slow motion. And so, yes, in, in Hollywood, what's slow motion doing? Mm. It literally is trying to allow more time for you to notice things and feel things. So the star crossed lovers across the room, as they spot each other and da, 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 or the da, da, da. matrix or the matrix exactly what dodging the bullets mm-hmm. um, and noticing all those little details and so with the sensory repatterning the some of the work that we do just slows things down mm. and we can take a really long time to do attraction for the leg and that leg feels longer mm-hmm. after even though it may not be, you know, maybe it was an inch, but it can give a feeling of connection through the whole body and this idea of elongating and mm-hmm. lengthening. And with that, as mammals, most mammals, when they are in fight or flight, if their sympathetic nervous system is activated or freeze, it will go into more of a contraction. It's all this energy and whew, mm-hmm. it's ready. And... Horses are the only exception to this because they will rear up uh-huh. and actually go into expansion versus more into the, uh, a oh, fetal position. That's right. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And so the idea of if we're in this position, we're not feeling expansive. And so taking a very slow snail-like movement and helping someone to really feel that expansiveness, hmm. it can be quite profound. Yummy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. ah. Uh-huh. How much of that do you think ties into the fact that when we're in stress mode, all, uh, not all, but our energy, our, our blood flow goes to the organs, right? To keep everything alive and to make sure we keep this surviving. So the, the blood flow pulls from the extremities and comes to the organs. Mm-hmm. So we're, when we're stressed all the time, essentially our blood flow is coming in. And so the limbs, the arms, the legs, the fingers, all that may not be getting as much energy flow. And so we put someone in that relaxed state and all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, just a thought. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm also going, oh, I now know why I have cold hands and feet sometimes. Mm. Uh-huh. I hadn't thought about that before. I was like, oh, it's because I'm a Pitta Vata, right? Ayurvedic dosha or like my, I have low blood pressure, but I think a lot of a big piece of that is probably stress-related. Thanks, Oj. Yeah, she's getting a kitty. <gasps> My God, you just said it on air, <laughs> Now I really have to. I've named him Mr. Snow Jangles. <laughs> okay, there'll be pictures. <laughs> wow. Sorry. But speaking of that, too... Hmm. Um, one of my teachers used to, when he would first start working, his hands would be so cold, Mm. but as soon as he starts working, his hands warm up. And I noticed that that happens when I work too. I'm guessing it probably does for you all too, Mm -hmm. that when the energy is flowing, then yes, circulation, energy, however you want to look at that 
it flows to the extremities. Yeah. Yeah. To the point where you start sweating. <laughs> I sweat sometimes, a lot of times when I work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sweating right now. I am too. <laughs> Me too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but don't we look great? <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't really give Elizabeth the heads up that we were on video now. And she's like, oh, I noticed. And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> By the way. But she's amazing. So yeah. thanks for playing along. No problem. Oh, you're doing great. No How long exactly um, have you been doing sensory patterning? And what were you doing prior to that? Prior to that. So I started my bodywork training in 2001, and that was right after college. And What did you major in? I started out as a drama major, mm. and then I switched to health and exercise science. So that's what I graduated cool. with. I was working as a personal trainer for a little while, and then in physical therapy to see if I wanted to pursue that route. And during college, though, I had also done an independent study in complementary medicine and just visited a lot of different people who were a lot of different healing practitioners and to see what it was that I was really interested in. And I was initially very interested in rolfing, um, structural integration work. And I had received some of that work, ended up finding the IFSPI, which in San Diego was the Institute for Psychostructural Balancing, changed to the International Professional School of Body Work and was mm. known as IFSPI College. And at one point, they brought a branch up to L.A., which is where you guys right. went to school. And anyway, I found that school. They had rolfing training. And so I thought, OK, I'm going to check this out. I never got very far in that, although one of my friends calls me a closet rolfer um, <laughs> because I do use a lot of it in my practice, but ended up just falling in love with sensory repatterning. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, so it was offered at the school. At the school, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. And was it Ray? Who was, it was Ray and James? Mm, uh, or? James was teaching it. Was it was James, okay. Yeah, yeah James Stewart. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about the history of sensory repatterning? Sure, yeah. Before we do that, can yes. we talk a little bit about, just touch on what rolfing is? No, can you talk those? about the, no, can you talk about, <laughs> Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Before we move too far away from rolfing. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll mention it. It's a deep form of body work that used to be thought of as super intense. Now it's not always thought of it in that same way, but it uses compressions and compress and follows as well as the client's active movement to help realign the body so that it's working optimally with gravity and not fighting against it. That's how I would say it. I don't know mm. if you guys would add anything. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> had a little bit. Have done. you had? A little bit. Oh. It's, it's intense. <laughs> Depends on the practitioner, though, True. too. This it can be that delicious discomfort. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Um, what was your question again, Casey? History. Uh, the history, history of SR. Yeah. yeah. So... The founders of IPSPI were members of the Eureka community and A R I C A. Yes. Eureka. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And my understanding is that the Eureka community was about raising consciousness through the body. Cool. Yeah. That's a pretty cool mission, I think. So they had lots of different techniques and things that they would try. And two types of body techniques that were used there slow motion and what we thought was Japanese trepidations. Mm -hmm. So a couple, the founders of the school, Carol Osborne Sheets and Barry Green, 
were two of the founders, and they were playing with different aspects of that. And James came in, and he took the first class that they offered. And so he started really playing around with these two ideas and putting them together. And then he ended up going up to Esalen Institute in Big Sur. He was supposed to just drop someone off to take a class there, and then he got Sucked cajoled in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> into staying for another class that um, was by Milton Traeger. And so Traeger work is a whole other type of movement-based work. And as he was in the Traeger work class, he was realizing, whoa, this is a lot of what I'm doing. We've been going down parallel paths. Mm. So... Yeah, so James really started to develop sensory repatterning as its own thing based in roots from Arika and from Traeger work. And uh, the slow motion I know is not in Traeger work. And it also, I feel like the two have a different focus in some ways. They're, they, some of the moves look very similar. And for me, the sensory repatterning has a more proprioceptive, it feels more delicious to me, but also is really about connecting with the skeleton and moving from the bones. And that movement from the bone and feeling, we lean in, but we also want the client to really experience themselves and not us. So we want them to experience what it's like to move from their core, because the skeleton is the most core that we can get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Groovy. Cool. I had a thing, and then it went... That's okay. I can do another thing. Do another thing. Okay. Do your thing. So, ooh, I was just thinking of a couple different things. The sensory repatterning, the undulations I mentioned, are based on the idea of this rocking, that we're bags of water, that Mm. really we are water that is moving around in these containers. All of Mm. our cells have all this fluid in them. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm working with someone, I'm always finding the rhythm of their body, of how their bag of water moves. And I also think of it as, so we talked about calming babies. Well, think about the time spent before they come out of their mom, that they are floating in a sack of water Mm -hmm. in the amniotic fluid. And they're just, oh. I, just the thought of it for me. Um, they're floating, they're playing, they're rolling around, they're growing. And this also goes back to taking care of the sympathetic nervous system. They don't have to think about timing, right? paying rent on time, paying bills, gas and electric, paying all... Being gluten-free. Yes. <laughs> Where's their next meal coming from? <laughs> their mom. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just all taken care of and everything is okay there. Mm-hmm. It's a place where things were all okay. You know, and people may come from different experiences in, in that uterus, but at the same time, in general, this idea of when being rocked by the ocean, the ocean that was in our mom, is very much a soothing. And if we think of the rhythm of the waves coming in and out, that that also is very soothing. So sensory repatterning, the undulations, we look at the rhythm there of this rocking, this cradling. And when we spend those nine months in the womb, what do we hear? Mm -hmm. Heartbeat. 
Mm-hmm. Water. Voice. Fluid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. ASMR. That's <laughs> been coming up in the last couple ASMR. episodes. ASMR. It's this, I don't even know that much about it, but it's recordings of sounds ah. like people chewing or walking or crinkling things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a sensory stimuli, yeah. right? Yeah. In that way. Yeah. So you were saying, what do we hear? Yeah. So yeah, we hear heartbeat. Heartbeat, I think, is one of the strongest things that is mm-hmm. very consistent. And so that, and when that heartbeat is slower, that also gets us into more of a parasympathetic state. Hmm. Our own heartbeat, you mean? Our, as... own, our own heartbeat, but also when we listen to music that has a slower rhythm, hmm. it calms us down. When mm-hmm. on the table we're rocked in a slower rhythm versus, you know, we don't want to machine gun someone. We call it machine gunning like an Uzi. Um, we don't want to do that because that's not going to be relaxing. So the undulations, we really focus on that idea of slowing down, being water-like and moving from that. The slow motion work is based on Tai Chi. James would call it applied Tai Chi. And that it's really a slow dance between the practitioner because we use Tai Chi like forms to weight shift and keep the movement fluid so that the client again feels themselves versus feeling the practitioner. Mm -hmm. And that slow movement I think of as based on the breath. So if we do fast breaths, (laughs) that often brings anxiety or excitement. it's more of an up feeling, um, more of a sympathetic feeling. Mm. Whereas if we just do a slow, so that even this body work is based on these organic rhythms that are intrinsic to who we are and who every person is. Right, yeah. that's shared, shared biology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that phrase. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I like delicious discomfort <laughs> <laughs> and bags of water. Uh-huh. We're all just bags of water. Mm-hmm. We are. <laughs> One of my teachers would talk about a story that there was the sea, and then it kept coming up to shore, and this salt water got curious about what was up there. And so it decided to form a membrane around itself and became the first cell. And it came up onto land. And then all these cells proliferated and became eventually humans. And that this was actually the water being curious about what was on the land. (laughs) And so really, we are all born of water. Amazing. (laughs) Uh, Have you heard of Watsu? I have, yes. Yeah, I'm wondering how much of the... You would be able to speak on oh, it. Like how, how similar? I've received both and done both. Yeah, one's on the table. Interesting. One's... I could see you were percolating something, and I didn't know what it was, and now I know it was the Watsu. Mm-hmm. OJ and I received Watsu a couple of weeks ago from mm-hmm. a practitioner who we're going to have on the podcast. It's funny. They're pretty different. I, I haven't put them in the same camp before. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced Watsu? I have, and it's interesting because I have a similar... I've received it, I think, twice, uh-huh. and... I think there are different forms of aquatic body work that some might be more similar to the sensory repatterning. 
And I think watsu is pretty specific shiatsu applied in water. Mm-hmm. So I, you yeah, can tell me what more. we had also, Nadia mm-hmm. isn't doing strictly watsu. Gotcha. She's doing, right, what is she calling it? Aqua, I'm forgetting, forgive me, Nadia. Oh, aquanimity mm-hmm. is Nadia's term, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she's using wa- uh, water based in, she's using bodywork based in shiatsu, but she's also adding sound healing. She's mm. using bowls. She's singing. And frequencies, mm. yeah, tuning forks, and she's singing. So her, wa- I don't think that she was as shiatsu focused. Gotcha. Um, and it seemed a little bit more freeform for me. So I don't think that I've had like specifically watsu only mm. session. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Yeah, when you're talking about the free flowing movement and like, right talking about being in water mm-hmm. you know it's where my, in my experience went. of sensory repatterning it is a little bit more what's the word that i want to say not formalized not organized but like there is Structure. sequencing and there probably is in watsu also but in my experience there's something about watsu that sort of takes you out of your any rigidity that you have in sensory repatterning there it's a little bit formulaic which can be a very good thing because it enables you to sort of check in like there's a deepening of one's own body whereas watsu in my experience i've like gone outside of myself and that has happened in sensory patterning too but i don't know it's a tricky thing to try and put words to i'm realizing i'm here going (laughs) gee i could talk about this for hours and i don't even know that i'm saying anything yeah and i'm also curious because i know you teach it so and you mm-hmm. you learned it, but did you teach it in a way that was sequenced, or is it like a traditional session sequence, like Casey was saying? So it can be done either way. Teaching, we teach sequence. Of course. Um, James was a musician, so he would talk about how jazz, improv jazz, the great improv artists have done sequence for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they can always come back to that sequence. Right. And so that's part of the way that we have structured sensory repatterning is a sequence that makes sense, that does a whole body sequence. And I know about eight different sequences that I could do. And I don't always do specifically exactly that. Mm-hmm. So I will switch it up depending on what's going on with the client and what they want focus on, or if I do feel like there's an area that, okay, maybe if I tried this or if I try that. So I will play with it more. And yes, we teach it more in a sequential form. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Sorry, you better. <laughs> <laughs> James being a musician, did he bring that into his teaching outside of like analogies with jazz? He didn't bring, well, we would do sounding. Um, I mean, Mm. that was a part of our regular schooling. Okay. uh, Definitely doing sounding to help center ourselves. And what does sounding look like or what did that look like? What did it sound like? Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So there are lots of different ways to sound. An ohm salutation is one way. Would you like me to lead you in an ohm salutation? Let's do it. Sure. You guys have done it before. Join us, audience. uh, I'll help with the audience, yeah. So the sound ohm has been used for probably centuries, maybe thousands of years, and is supposed to connect us to 
the whole universe. It's supposed to be the sound of the universe is my understanding. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to add to that? That's been my understanding of it as well. Like when you turn off all the sounds, there's still a sound and it's the sound of Aum. Yeah. Yeah. And I also in my teaching will offer for people to use the word home um, as a way to bring yourself home to who you are. I like that twist. Hmm. Yeah. And so if using the word om does not resonate with you, you can always use the word home. And for this, I will actually put my feet down on Mm -hmm. the floor. So we want to have a straight spine sitting on your sit bones, maybe moving some flesh out of the way if needed. And go ahead if you feel comfortable, let your eyes float closed. And let's start just with a deep breath in. And let out a sigh. Ah. And again. Ah. And in a moment, we'll do an om salutation in inhaling into our heart center letting our sound come from our heart center. If you like to, you could bring the two polarities, the left, the receptive side, and the right, the active side, your hands together, and bring it to your heart center. Inhaling in. And exhaling, om. rhythm. And when you're ready, letting your hands float down and eyes open up. And so we would play with different sounds like that. Sometimes an ah atu breath or rom in three centers. But I'm curious, just from that one little tiny home or home, what did you guys feel? Unification, oneness. Peaceful. Mm-hmm. Almost like anything else going on in my life wasn't going on and it was just in alignment here. Mm-hmm. There was an attunement, mm-hmm. no pun intended. Um, also, it felt like a little bit of a reset. Like when I opened my eyes, I like noticed the light in a different way. It's like my senses were a little bit sharper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clarity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything yeah. else for you? Yeah. Um, for me, it always brings more presence in the moment. I mean, I think all of that talks speaks to presence. And you use the word attunement. Oftentimes, again, starting class or coming together with a group like this, that when we use that, it brings us all here together. Hmm. And if I do it on my own, I feel like it brings me to me. Hmm. And again, helps me be more present, clarify. Yeah. Neat. Can you speak to any of the other components that you use or utilize? And if, I mean, can you, yeah, do you want to, would you like to? Mm-hmm. Um, in the sensory teaching, like some of the brain gym stuff or some of the other 
psychocalisthenics. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about sort of what that's doing and how that's incorporated? And was that a piece of sensory when you learned it or have you added some of those? And mm-hmm. it's just, that's really powerful. Like I've taken some of those things that we do in class and I'm using it with my yoga students. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll do it as a warm up for Tai Chi. Just yes. like there's a lot of different pieces to your teaching and they're Mm -hmm. very I know that they're very intentional Mm -hmm. and um they've been very beneficial for me so I'm just yeah did you want to share any any of those pieces yeah so I'm going to start by saying just how important I think movement is Mm. movement in general um that's one of the things I've been passionate about really I almost want to say my whole life, but I feel like it really came to the forefront as I went kind of into it, my healing journey uh, for myself in my 20s and up and how important it is for us to move. I've used the phrase freedom of movement is freedom of thought mm-hmm. and that when we are freely moving in our body, we're more clear just in general. So part of my teaching is using movement and that's also part of the self-care that I'm hoping to instill that my students are able to really keep taking care of themselves as they're giving to other people. Yeah. So the three types of movement that I'll use in class, Casey mentioned brain gym, also known as educational kinesiology. It was developed by Dr. Paul Dennison and his wife in, I believe, the 70s or 80s. And um, it pulled from a lot of different fields, yoga, acupressure, optometry, and a few different things. And the idea was to activate the left and the right hemispheres of the brain and have them communicating with each other so that we can learn more completely. And so we'll usually do this in class after lunch. It's a fun thing. I put on music. We do all these silly moves. And and that helps bring us, again, more present. I think a lot of this is really just about being present and finding ways to be with ourselves. So yes, so I use that to help bring students back, usually after lunch, sometimes in the morning. Psychocalisthenics came from the Eureka community and was developed by Oscar Achazo, the founder of the Eureka community. And it is, I mentioned before, the Eureka community is about raising consciousness through the body. It's a series of calisthenic movements that actually are about raising consciousness or bringing that mind-body connection together. And so a lot of it's based on breath and using the breath to move energy through the body. In sensory repatterning, we use that because sensory repatterning is somato-emotional work. While it's usually we don't do a big dialogue during the session, and in fact, I'm usually listening with my hands and reacting to the movement that way to what needs to happen or how I can invite them to trust me more, to be able to let go more. But emotion can be moved. Emotion should be moved. E-motion, energy motion. It's moving. And so because sometimes the things that we haven't dealt with, you mentioned this earlier, that have been kind of stuffed down, put on the back burner. Suddenly we're moving in class and that stuff can come back up. So the idea with psychocalisthenics is really to keep that energy moving. And because for me, my belief is that it's not necessarily about going into a huge dialogue, although that can be done, but it's just about allowing whatever that was to move through us. 
and move on. So we do psychocalisthenics for that reason. And then depending on where I'm teaching and what the school's structure is, I'll either use Tai Chi or another teacher, Ray, put together as the principles of excellent body mechanics. And I mean, that says it right there, body mechanics so that we can really maintain our own integrity physically as we're moving someone's body around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how you talked about when you release these things, it doesn't always have to be a dialogue or verbal. Because there is a belief out there that when we release these things, and we've talked about on the show, when we go and do these deeper things and we have to know what it was or we have to look for what it was or we have to listen to what specific incident did what. And I love what you talk about because I love movement as well. But when you're moving and sometimes you feel something coming up and coming out, that could be the release. That could be exactly what you needed to get out in order for you to move forward. So for the listeners out there, you don't always have to know exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll feel something come out and it'll just feel different. Yeah. And even with that too, I think of a time when James was working on me and the very first move that he did was called thoracic cradle. So I'm lying on my back and he brings his hands underneath me Mm. and is rocking me there. And I immediately started bawling. I had gone through a breakup. So I I had a story behind it. I had gone through this breakup. I had done the breaking up. I was happy about the breakup. But I hadn't let myself feel it. Mm -hmm. I hadn't let myself process it. And all he did was just hold me. And we didn't need to say anything. And at one point, I calmed down. And he asked, are you ready to move on? Yep. And then we went on. Beautiful. And it was that simple. Mm. Beautiful. I have truth bumps, a.k.a. goosebumps. But I'm now, I've taken to calling them truth bumps. Yeah, I felt that on the scalp of my head all the way down. Hmm. Yeah, and not everything has to be accompanied by words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a, a powerful, I think, tool for us in Western society where we always are trying to fill fill the space, fill the space, more words, more words, mm-hmm. more words. Well, it's not always words. Sometimes it's words. Sometimes it's stillness. Sometimes it's taking a walk. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. lying on a table and having somebody hold you under your thoracic vertebrae. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these are, are powerful tools that connect us to ourselves and our experience and help process any emotion that we're holding on to, which we may not even be aware that we're holding on to. Mm-hmm. Right? right. A lot yeah. of this is like when you receive work, you don't have to go in because you are struggling with X or Y, mm-hmm. but go in and explore. Just see what experiences like this do for you. How do they deepen your experience of yourself in this body at this time? Yeah, and I think that's a something the Western society has taught us to do is, again, be reactive or go in with the intention of like, okay, I'm going to fix something, when mm-hmm. a lot of the times it's just seeing what's there. Just giving space for giving things space. to fix themselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think our society has a very mechanistic approach mm-hmm. that you do X plus Y and you get Z Hmm. and you have this wrong with you. And so you need to have your shoulder fixed. Whereas really it's a big landscape. I don't know if you all are familiar with chaos theory and system, the idea of a systems approach that we are self-organizing, but that's a big part of how I approach body work is that 
it's this idea that my whole being is this big landscape and I can tug on the fabric over here and it changes the fabric here. Right. And then my whole being decides how I want to integrate that. So it's not that, and that's where I go back to the, I don't think of myself as a healer, but I'm just giving some input and then the person is self-regulating, integrating what's happening. One thing that I just want to emphasize that you mentioned earlier is that we are bags of water and that we're, we move differently, right? So you expressed that when you are working with a patient or with a client, you're not moving at your rhythm. You're listening for the rhythm of their body, of their cells, of their, of their, and it might be different from one day to the next. Mm -hmm. One, one part of the body might move at a different rhythm than another very mm -hmm. often. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea of customizing, mm -hmm. right? And Definitely. that, yeah, 10 milligrams of X chemical isn't always the right prescription, right? It's yeah. like, who knows what it is, but we are working to just, you know, we want to create the space for all of the possibility, for all of the different things that it could be and, and the different ways for things to resolve. Mm-hmm. So... Elizabeth, what have we left out today? What have we left out? Other um, than sensory patterning sessions. For <laughs> <laughs> um, two things come to mind. One is the idea of a zero moment. I talk about when I teach this class that there are times, and this was one of the hardest things for me to learn, that we give movement and then we allow there to be space and we don't do anything. And it's in that space that things are felt and things are integrated. And I think that that is a lesson not just for when you're receiving or giving a session, but for all of us in our lives, that oftentimes we're just go, 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 go. And where's the empty space to just be mm -hmm. and to allow all of what's been happening for you to settle in, whether that's time to reflect, whether it's time to sleep, whether it's time to clean, guilty of that, <laughs> not always having that time um, or making that time. But that for me anyway, that's been one of my things on this learning journey is really learning to take those zero moments and honor them and be with them mm. and know that I don't have to rush immediately to the next thing. Inviting the yin to the yang. Yeah. The night to the day. Yeah. Right. It's all this duality. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. One other thing that stands out is this idea of embodiment, that we are so in our heads all the time. And I think that we're often taught, okay, either we only listen to our body when there's something wrong. We only pay attention to our body for the aesthetics or we just completely ignore our body because we don't want to deal with that. And there's so much pleasure in our body. And to me, so much pleasure from moving. I mean, again, this goes back to yesterday, I went for a swim in La Jolla Cove and mm -hmm. it was cold and it was choppy. The sun was out, but it just, even with all those things and parking was terrible, once I was in the water moving, it just felt so good. And we are our bodies, you know, we're not separate from it. Whether, whatever happens in the afterlife, 
we all have different beliefs on that. But here now we are our bodies. And I think that it's important to, for me, I feel like part of my life's purpose here is to experience what is this life here? And there's so much to enjoy, whether it's just a fresh strawberry and how does that taste in my mouth? And to me, that's also a part of what sensory repatterning really helps me to come back to, oh yeah, what's here? What's simple? What's delicious? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> I did have one other thing, but... <laughs> It's gone now, so. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, man, I could do this all day. OJ, how about you? Yeah. Is there a, a sensory repatterning database, or how do people find people that do sensory repatterning? You just got to get lucky and hopefully find you someone. You just got to know Elizabeth, okay? And now you all know Elizabeth. You're welcome. You can contact me, and I can get you in touch. We are working on a website. Mm. It will be sensoryrepatterning.com once nice. it's actually up. Yeah, and in the meantime, embodimentarts.com is a good way to reach me. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. So Thank happy you. to have you. That was great. It's my pleasure. Thanks, mm. OJ. Thanks, Thanks listeners. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Way of Healing. We hope that you find yourself inspired. If you enjoyed our show, a gift is to let others know. And we want to hear from you. Please share your feedback so we know how our work is resonating. Make us aware of modalities and practitioners whom we may not know. If you haven't already, please subscribe at thewayofhealingpodcast.com. Our email is thewayofhealingpodcast at gmail.com and find us at facebook.com forward slash thewayofhealing. Remember, a rising tide lifts all boats.